Hi everyone, it's Mitchell Kuchonda here. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Business Podcast. Today, I'm gonna share with you an article that I wrote called Time, Money, and the Physical Preparation Coach. Now, I wrote this in 2009. So 10 years ago, I wrote it. And it's about the experience and headwind and experiences and headwinds that I faced back then working full-time, self-employed as a coach, and wanting to balance and live a great lifestyle moving forwards. And here, you'll hear my thoughts and insights into it. Uh, I realized that I was on the left side of what Robert Kiyosaki would call the cash flow quadrant as a self-employed person, earning my income, trading my time for money. Now, I'm going to put this link so you can read it yourself in the show notes if you prefer to do that. Um, however, I am doing it as an audio simply because I've noticed so many people today prefer to listen to things than read them. So if you've read this or you prefer prefer to read this yourself, just skip this episode and go straight to the show notes for the link. Uh, for those that do want to hear it and don't want to bother reading it, let's get into it. Time, money, and the physical preparation coach. You're living your dream, physically preparing athletes as a coach, doing what you love. What's that saying? If you do what you love and get paid for it, you'll never work a day in your life. As I type this, at 7.54 p.m. on a Friday night, and yes, I, that's true, and I still remember where I was when I was writing this, prior to meeting a new group of athletes for their first dedicated stretching session, I've decided to share a different perspective for the coach, one you'll be all too familiar with unless you're still in your honeymoon coaching period, of which if you still are in your honeymoon period, put this article down and come back and read it in the next five to 10 years. The majority of people on the planet earn money one of two ways, via the provision of a service or the sale of a product. Coaching is a service-based profession, and this includes all types of coaching. However, it also applies to personal trainers and any other vocation that trades their time for money, such as chiropractors, physiotherapists, massage therapists, naturopaths, receptionists, engineers, accountants, photographers, journalists, retail assistants, and the list goes on. Here's where the education will begin for most. At school, we're never taught what I'm about to share with you, and if it was taught, I must have missed school that day. And it was never mentioned during all my years of school, college, or university. It was halfway through my university degree where I started my coaching business, and these concepts I'm about to share with you were never once came to mind, nor had anyone taught them to me, mentioned, or demonstrated that they were incorporating them in their own businesses. At the time, I was incredibly content just running on excitement, getting my business off the ground and completely oblivious to these things that I now call business fundamentals. So around five years into my coaching career, I was somewhat forced to take stock. My brother and some best friends decided to go overseas to live, work and travel for a few years. They based themselves in the UK and traveled around Europe. And this was back in the early 2000s. So it was before Facebook and Skype and all the social media we had, it's when someone went overseas that was actually a long way away. Now, of course, I too could have gone and I wanted to go, but I felt as though my hands were tied because I'd worked incredibly hard building up my business to date and being self-employed, I couldn't justify throwing that away only to have to return and start from scratch again in a few years when I returned back to Australia. Now, add the unique learning opportunities I was having at that time with the teams and organizations I was working with I knew I needed to see these opportunities through for at least the next five to seven years uninterrupted to test my hypothesis on how to train, 
how to lead athletes and teams to win, and to build my skills with individual squad and team sport athletes. So going away for a few years at that stage of my professional development was out of the question. However, this experience forced me to take a strong look at how I spent my time, how I earned my income, and how other people in my profession who were further along their career paths did. And I had to ask myself, is that where I wanted to end up? I learned that school and university teaches us to become employees and technicians, to use the words of Michael Gerber, author of the great book, The E-Myth. And later, through reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and The Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki, business started to make a lot more sense to me. So this is what I learned. The first lesson, time. Looking at my time, I had limited control over it, if any. I was working when I should have been sleeping because athletes train very early in the mornings often and late into the evenings. I was spending time with people I wouldn't usually choose to spend my time with and I was giving away time in my life to make someone else's life more convenient for a few extra dollars. After taxes, the built-in costs of doing business, my own loss of lifestyle, I thought, am I crazy? But the most crazy of all was that 100% of my income was derived from trading my time for money. This is the most limited resource in the world, the only thing you can't get back or gain. We've all only got 24 hours in a day, and once that time is gone, we never get it back. Money, on the other hand, I realize is replaceable, can come from multiple sources, can be lost and acquired again and again and again. It's been said that trading our time, which is a limited resource, for money, which is an unlimited resource, is the craziest transaction, idea, or exchange imaginable. And just because most people in the world do this doesn't mean I had to. Plus, I didn't know anyone with self-made wealth who dominantly had an earned income in any profession. So my decision was made. No more trading my time for money unless I chose to do it and it was on my terms. How many physical preparation coaches or strength conditioning coaches do you know who can genuinely do this? Choose who they work with, when they work, and do so on their own terms. And this is where the dynamics of my business started to shift. Lesson number two, income. Next, I looked at my income. Now it was good but not even close to where I believed it could be, nor what I was worth. And if I relied on trading my time for money alone, there were far too many hurdles in the way of the income that I desired. For example, the first hurdle, I only get paid when I work. No work equals no income. Second, my income was capped or limited. Even if I was to physically work 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, which is a physical impossibility, that's all the time there is. Therefore, my income was limited to the amount of time I could physically work and my hourly rate. Third, theoretically, service providers can just increase their hourly rate to increase their income. This is only accurate up to a point though, and I encourage you to test this out for yourself and come to your own conclusions about your perceived worth in the marketplace. Point four, what if the coach or organization or sporting team decreases your contact hours with the athletes? or you have a client going away, or you get sick. All these impact your weekly income as well as your long-term financial security. Point five, once you stop physically working with athletes and they all retire at some point, or you stop working for a sporting team, what do you do? Jump back on the coaching merry-go-round with another one over and over again? The sixth hurdle, as an industry, few coaches or trainers get paid what they're worth. 
The majority, unfortunately, will undercut and do it cheaper just to get the work and put food on the table. Clearing these hurdles did not interest me. Instead, I needed to change the game I was playing in and learn some new rules. The next lessons opened my eyes even more. There are only three types of income in this world. Earned income, leveraged income, and passive income. Now, depending on the books you read and the people you listen to, they'll be labeled differently, but they generally have these meanings. An earned income means trading your time for money. And it's all income that's on what Robert Kiyosaki would say, the left side of the cash flow quadrant, if you're working as an employee or self-employed person. Leveraged income, sometimes called residual income, is doing the work once, but being paid on that unit of work over and over, forever or at minimum a long term. And this is often referred to as set and forget income. And finally, there's passive income, being paid irrespective of whether you're working or not. So when I learnt about these three income streams in a book called Paycheck to Passive, I got excited. I only found out about them because I was looking for more choice in my life. And it was reading that led me here. And when I learned anyone could build multiple streams of income starting part-time without changing what they're doing full-time with a plan to walk away from their full-time job, I got busy doing exactly that. I started adding additional streams of part-time income. And I encourage you to do it as well. Leveraged income is what the author of a book gets or a music band gets. The author or the band does the work once. In other words, writes the book or records the album. It could take three, six, 12 months and they get paid every time that book or that album sells forever. If it's a great book or album, he or she will receive great long-term income. If it stinks, so will the income, if any, that comes from it. Leveraged income allows anyone to leverage or benefit from other people's time or other people's money, often referred to as OPT and OPM. And these are the keys to being a successful entrepreneur. For example, if you're an employee, your boss or your employer is leveraging your time to run their business and or increase the productivity of the business. Building leveraged income allows you to have other people's money or other people's time working for you instead of you solely working for the money. It's important to note initially leveraged income requires you to work productively often before you get paid. You're paid based on your productivity, not how much work you do. And that's one of the biggest differences between earned and leveraged income or income on the left side of the cash flow quadrant versus income on the right side of the cash flow quadrant. Another significant difference is your income potential becomes unlimited. Your market can typically be global, unlike earned income, where your market is generally based where you are geographically trading your time for money. Additionally, leveraged and passive income streams are residual, meaning they can continue to pay you long after you stop working. And this is absolutely what I was after. So let's experiment to see where you are currently. These are a couple of rhetorical questions and situations for you to consider. Firstly, how long could you live off the money you've made or acquired if you stopped working today? That in itself is a great definition of wealth. Projecting forward. You'd need a million dollars in cash in the bank or net asset position at a return of 5% to receive $50,000 a year or approximately $1,000 a week in passive income. Now, keep in mind that in 10, 20, or 30 years from now, $1,000 a week may or may not be a lot of money with inflation, rising cost of living, and so on. So would this cover your weekly expenses? 
And for an average family of four, it's doubtful. Now, with a $2 million cash position or net asset position with a 5% return, you'd earn approximately $100,000 passively or $1,923 a week. So if you wanted a higher standard of living, you'd need an even greater cash or net asset position or a higher guaranteed return. So the question is, does what you're currently doing now allow you to have or acquire one or $2 million in cash or appreciating assets of that value? How long would it take you to achieve these? And does the opportunity even exist for you to genuinely achieve this type of asset position in what you're currently doing? So good questions to reflect on. Lesson number three, others in my profession. Finally, I looked at other physical preparation coaches in the profession and concluded I did not want to be part of the coaching merry-go-round, nor did I want to be part of the rat race working 40 hours a week for 40 years and ending up dead or dead broke. Now, moving outside of physical preparation and now including all occupations, statistically, and these are Australian stats, current as of 2019, 80% of everyone you know, and I know, that's four out of every five people at age 65, and soon it'll be 67, are financially dependent on the full or part pension after 40 years in the workforce. Now, to reverse engineer that and look at it another way, Just 20% of people, that's one in five people that you and I know, are able to fully self-fund in retirement after working 40 years. So for me, the lesson became crystal clear. Make choices and take actions of the minority. If I find myself on the side of the majority again, change quickly. So the next step is getting started. And the key is emptying my cup. So how do you do this? It's simple, but not easy. And it's this, it's at this point, if you're committed to moving from paycheck to a more residual income, like I was, you've got to be prepared to empty your cup and allow new thoughts, beliefs, and actions in. You cannot solve a problem with the same thoughts, beliefs, and actions that created your current situation in the first place. That was my starting point. Now, I encourage you to come to your own conclusions based on your own experiences building leverage. This is absolutely not a theoretical or textbook exercise. Because in business, you can earn while you learn. And so few people have any positive leverage in their lives. Be careful who you listen to. 10 essential rules. Today, some of my greatest values are health, time, money, and contribution. Now, there's a lot of people who out-earn me, but there are few people who have the daily time flexibility and freedom and the ability to choose their coaching clients like I do which allow me these wonderful choices in life each day. So to learn more about what I look for to identify truly great leveraged opportunities, these are my rules. And going through these, I encourage you to ask yourself this question. And the question is, is what I'm doing now or what I plan to do meeting all of these requirements? So here they are. Number one, is it profitable or does it have the potential to be? Having a Having a large turnover is not the goal. Having a large profit margin is a goal. As a late, great Jim Rohn said, profits are better than wages. Number two, is it leveraged? Can it generate income using other people's time and or other people's money, not just your own? Earned income or being an employee or self-employed on the left side of the cash flow quadrant, trade your time for money. You have to be present to do the work to be paid. Leveraged income on the right side of the cash flow quadrant 
is doing the work once and getting paid on that same unit of work over and over again, long-term or potentially forever. Now, as an example, 14 years ago at the time of this recording, which is now 2019, I set up an arrangement and have received payment from this one transaction every single month for the past 14 years. This is my definition of leverage and it's available to everyone. Point three, is it residual? Will the income continue to come in after you stop working for it, get sick, retire, or die? And unfortunately, one or more of these things happens to us all. Point four, gives you freedom. I don't care how much money you're making, I wanna know the price you're paying. Time freedom is much more important than money to me. I'd rather have an income that gives me time freedom than one that makes me time poor. How about you? Point five, is it willable or sellable? Can you pass it on like as an asset to your inheritance so they receive this income? This means your family's financial security this means your family's financial security can be set in the event of your untimely passing. Think multi-generational. Will your income provide you and your family income in a decade, in two decades, or in five decades from now? All pertinent questions. Point six. Does it have global income potential? If your business relies wholly or predominantly on one country's economy, you're potentially trapped by the economic cycle of that country. Does what you're doing right now depend on and is limited to only one country's economy? Does the genuine potential exist for expansion and growth into other countries? As an example, could you expand easily into Asia? Can you operate in more countries than just the one you live in? and secure your business by benefiting from their economies, from other economies, if and when the country that you're currently operating in is challenged. Point seven, do Robert Kiyosaki, Tony Robbins, Jim Rowan, Les Brown, Bob Proctor, Dennis Waitley, Paul Zane Pilzer, Jack Canefield, Robert Allen, Stephen Covey, and many others recommend your current business and profession? Ideally, they should. And in these current economic times, many of them recommend certain businesses and models and products as your number one option to secure your income now and well into the future. Point eight, is your income from an industry sector that's growing or shrinking? Because today, middle management and many other low-skilled jobs are being wiped out by disruptions in technology, AI, sourcing work offshore, and so on. Think Uber and Airbnb, just as a couple of basic examples. These technology platforms are the new norm and every inefficient business model will be replaced by a model of greater efficiency. As Amazon founder Jeff Bezos said, your profit margin is my opportunity. This paradigm in business is only accelerating. So the question is, are you operating a business model that's leveraging and embracing these changes? Point nine, are you helping others as you help for yourself? This is critical. Are you doing something that can be of benefit to others? The late, great Buckminster Fuller said, your greatness may remain obscure to yourself, but it will become apparent if you commit yourself to the highest advantage of others. Does what you do every day heal the world or steal from the world? Is it in the highest and best good of others? And Zig Ziglar has a great quote, if you help others get what they want, you can have everything you want. And point 10, is it making you healthier? Finally, and most importantly, You can have all the money and time in the world, but without your health to enjoy it, how enjoyable is what you've achieved? Hence the saying, the greatest health, the greatest wealth, my apologies, is health. 
Is what you're doing exposing you to improving your health now and in the future? Health is influenced by so many factors, including nutrition, supplementation, time freedom, enjoyment, who we associate with, the environments we find ourselves working in, recovery from training, and the list goes on. So my hope is that you've become informed, educated, and perhaps even inspired from these insights, experiences, and lessons I've just shared. So the next step from here is if you enjoyed listening to this or reading it, if you go ahead and read it, you can check out part two, which is a video I created called The Business of Getting Paid More Than Once. And I'll link that video in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Healthy Business Podcast.